Welcome to Rushcast. My name is Jay Mantis. Thank you so much for being here or coming back if this isn't your first time here. We have a really, really uh, great episode for you today that I think you're going to enjoy. My guest today is Donna Halper. You might recognize her from Beyond the Lighted Stage. She is the radio DJ that used to be in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, that gave Rush a little bit of a jump start. Hi, Donna. How are you? Uh, I'm snowed in. How are you? Yeah, not a good time for the Northeast right now. A little bit snowy. And oh, it's brutal out here. It's completely brutal. I mean, the kids love it. They're building snow caves and all this other stuff. But uh, <laughs> for those of us that have to go anywhere, I mean, forget about it. The good news is it gives me a chance to hang out and talk to you. Because <laughs> normally I wouldn't be here at this time of the day. I'd be working. <laughs> it, so it worked out a little bit. Uh, you uh, do. Are you... Uh, you do broadcasting at Leslie, is that it? Yes and no. Um, I am not really in broadcasting anymore per se, okay? I After the Telecommunications Act of 1996 kind of in my view and the view of many others, destroyed the industry as we knew it. Um, a lot of people lost their jobs, and a lot of stations were bought up. Smaller stations were bought up by bigger stations. Mm-hmm. I had been a radio DJ and a music director and an assistant program director, and then I opened up my own consulting business, and I worked all over the country. But my expertise was in small and medium market stations, you know, like smaller cities, like training people and this and that. After the Telecommunications Act, most of the smaller stations were no longer independent. They got bought up by bigger stations, and I didn't have any work. And I kind of had gotten used to things like eating and paying the rent and (laughs) stuff like that. So I had to kind of reinvent myself. I went back to school, and I got my doctorate degree. And uh, you'll have to tell me if I'm smarter now than I was before, but um, (laughs) I became a college professor full-time. I had been doing some, you know, part-time teaching, but now I'm a full-time college professor. Um, I was at Emerson which is known for broadcasting and newspaper and stuff like that. So I was there for a long time. And then I got to uh, start the communication program over at Leslie. We have a newspaper, and I'm the advisor for the newspaper. But in terms of a radio station, not yet. We're pushing for one. We're advocating for one. Mm -hmm. But my own radio work right now is mainly as a guest on people's programs. And uh, I've been a guest on all kinds of places sometimes talking about Rush, sometimes just talking about other things because mm-hmm. I've written six books and et cetera and et cetera. Or as Alex would say, blah, 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 <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Very well blah, blah. done, that speech. Uh, what is... That was such a shock to people. Nobody, except Alex, knew he was going to give that speech. He had I, he and I talked about that. Not, not uh-huh. before, because I didn't know he was going to give it either. But he had two speeches. He had like the regular, you know, I'd like to thank the Academy, I'd like to thank my mother, I'd like to thank my father. He had the the blah, blah, blah speech. And the context for all of this, okay, and a lot of people have not talked about this. Um, If you were there, and I was, um, if you were there at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame out in Los Angeles that year uh, at the induction ceremony, prior to Rush getting inducted, were a couple of the longest speeches you ever saw. 
particularly Quincy Jones, who, uh-huh. you know, God bless him. I love him. He should live and be well. But his speech was like, you know, and so in 1968, I did this. And in 1969, <laughs> I did. And in 19, and then there was 1971. And I'm sitting there looking at the president of Rounder Records, which uh, who I'm sitting next to. And we're like, oh, my God, this is going to go on for the next, like, 30 years. We'll never get out of here, you know? And yeah. and he just, and nobody wanted to, there was no hook, you know? It ain't like vaudeville where they'd like take the hook and just knack, you know, grab you and get you off stage. Yeah. Nobody wanted to be the one to tell the great Quincy Jones, uh, you know, pal, <laughs> you're, you're kind of going along, you know? I mean, like there's other inductees, you know? And, and I think that really no offense to Quincy Jones, who we all admire, but I just think that inspired Alex to just get up there and do his satire on the <laughs> overly long induction speech. And I, I was shocked to hear in a recent interview of his that that he uh, that even Neil and Getty didn't even know they were right next to him. And that he didn't Absolutely. know until he was none of us, on None stage. of us knew. The, the management didn't know, okay? We all just kind of looked at each other. We were all sitting near each other, and, you know, they were down a little bit away from me, the management and the families and stuff. And I was in the first row along with record company, some cousins, some, you know, some <laughs> other relatives. It was pretty crowded there. Um, but we all looked at each other like, what? Because we were under the impression that he was just going to give a real brief, you know, like I said, I'd like to thank the Academy, you know, mm-hmm. thank you, Jan Winter, even though you're this and that, you know, that that was one of the highlights of the entire ceremony, listening to Jan Winter get booed for five <laughs> minutes. That was hilarious. Were there any, um, like, negative vibes after Alex's speech in the room? I think people were more puzzled than anything else. Uh-huh. Uh, those of us who are familiar with satire and familiar with silent movies and also familiar with um, some of the way things used to be done in vaudeville, we picked up on what he was trying to do, mm-hmm. okay? Um, you may say silent movies, they had no talking. No, but they used a lot of expressions, like facial expressions yeah. Yeah. and the way the room was. And, and Neil, you know, Neil and Getty are kind of like, But, you know, Alex, he's using gestures, he's using facial expressions, and he's just using that one word. And it's just an incredibly effective satire once you get into it. So I think people later on kind of revisited it and said, wow, that is kind of brilliant in a way, you know, because he really did get it across how empty and shallow and vapid sometimes some of these speeches are. Again, no offense, Quincy, if you're listening, not trying to diss you, pal. But so many of those speeches are just oh my God, they sound so insincere, you know? Yeah. And he was really glad to be there. He really was. So was Neil, so was Getty. But originally, they never expected that it would ever happen. They knew that there was a small group of people, thank you, Jan Wenner, who were trying to keep them out and who would have kept them out indefinitely. But once Getty's mom said that she was thrilled about it, you know that old expression, if mom is happy, everyone's happy? Uh-huh. Well, when Getty's mom heard the news that they were going to be inducted, she was delighted. <laughs> At which point, Getty kind of went from ho-hum to, oh, yeah, yeah, this is great. Let's do it, you know. Uh-huh. 
And I think that the same thing happened with the other guys, too. I think their families were more excited about it than they were, because they had just gotten fed up with how political the whole process was. And they should have been inducted years ago, and everyone knows it, okay? But the reality is their families were thrilled. And so the guys kind of got one over to the idea of, like, yeah, this is kind of cool when you think about it. But the blah, blah speech, no, that was unexpected. It shouldn't have been. Alex really does have a very offbeat sense of humor. He's a really funny guy. Most people don't think, you know, they, they just don't see that side of him. But he really is. He's, he's a very funny guy. And um, this was just an opportunity for him to put that comic skill to good use. So one of the one of the things that a lot of people told me they wanted to hear from you is from, like, a fan perspective... Uh, you oh, know. darling, nobody wants to hear anything from me. They're bored with no, me. No, that's ridiculous. That's completely ridiculous. What is, you know, we all have our favorite set. No one can really pinpoint a favorite Rush song or, for me, even an album. What What is your favorite song, album, or era from their music? Can't do it. Can't, Can't do, do it. any of them. Cannot do it. You know why? Why? You know why? Um, think of me as a mom, okay? I'm not old enough to be the mom of the guys in Rush. I'm not related to the guys in Rush in any way other than just as good friends. But think of me as a mom, okay? Now, if you asked a mom, who's your favorite kid? <laughs> For the most part, your mom's not going to tell you who the favorite kid is, mm-hmm. because your mom is going to say, hey, kids. Okay? Now, there may be days when one kid is a total brat and the other kid is an angel, but overall, love them all. So I'm kind of like that about Rush, okay? Mm-hmm. These are these are my friends. These are like family to me. I love them all, okay? Now, that having been said, are there certain songs that I relate to better than others? Of course. But I never want to get into, well, this is better than... Nah, these mm-hmm. are my friends. This is what they put out. This is their musical inspiration. And if it doesn't touch me, it's probably going to touch someone else. And so I'm happy for that. Now, if you're asking me, like, which songs have special meaning for me because of a time or a place, well, obviously, Working Man. Mm-hmm. Every time I hear the opening chords to that or to Finding My Way... I just, I get the chills to this day because I remember, you know, just being there, running that record down to Denny Sanders saying, you've got to play this, this record, this is going to happen, this band is going to happen. And I just, it just takes me back to a time and a place. Or when I listen to Spirit of Radio, okay, um, it takes me back to the industry that I used to love to what radio used to be. I mean, I still love radio, but I don't love what's happened to it, okay? And when I think about that, you know, the the pun about the words of the prophets, um, partially prophet, like in the prophets in the Bible, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, you know, um, (laughs) and the other part like prophet, like P-R-O-F-I-T, where prophecy is no longer required. You're not trying to predict anything. You're just there to make money. And the prophets have taken over everything. And the people that tried to warn us about that, they're gone now. They're not in the industry anymore. So I think that Rush was trying to talk about the same upbringing they had, you know, begin the day with a friendly voice. You know, there was a time when radio was every kid's companion, when you dreamed of growing up to be a DJ, that kind of thing. Yep. And that's gone now. 
that's gone now. People are still becoming DJs, but it's no longer the hope of a generation. So when I listen to a song like Spirit of Radio, you know, but even with Ribbon, you know, it's my turn to drive, you know, yeah. um, it's about taking over, taking control of your life, okay? Deciding that, like, you're not just going to be a passive passenger on the road of life, you know? It's my turn to drive. So I'll, I'll think of certain songs, and I'll think of certain lyrics, and it just, it's like, yeah, I remember where I was the first time I heard Driven. I remember where I was the first time I heard Spirit of Radio, that kind <laughs> of thing, all right? Mm-hmm. And, but I still cannot, in fairness, say to you, that I have a favorite era or a favorite song or a favorite anything. What I feel is I feel a tremendous amount of love and gratitude knowing that I had something to do with what happened with these guys. It was a small something, but it turned out to have a major impact on fans all over the world. So I'm thinking in that way. So even if an album comes out and it's not my favorite album, so what? Mm-hmm. It, I know for a true fact, when I go to the concerts, okay, and I very often I sit with Peggy, who is in the management at SRO Anthem, and Peggy and I have been friends for years, and I sit with Ray, who is also in their management, and, you know, I sit with Howard, who now does the lights and the sound and stuff like that, and so I'm sitting with them just watching in the mixing booth, watching how the show is put together and watching the reaction of the fans. And, you know, yeah, sure, there's fans that just scream and howl after every song, but then there's others that just a particular song touches them. Maybe it's the garden, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's 2112, you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's, who knows, maybe it's Working Man. But each song reaches a different fan in a different way. The whole overall opus, yeah, it's all Rush. But... Certain songs just reach out to us and get us right where we are. And the fact that they are still creating that year after year is just amazing to me. Uh, a lot of people are are pretty upset in the Ohio area that they're not coming to Cleveland on this tour. Do you think... Uh, they, should, they shouldn't be, and I was really offended, mm-hmm. I must tell you by a couple of what I think is sort of irresponsible journalists who framed it like Rush snubs Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Rush didn't snub anybody. They worked, their management, and I know this for a true fact because I've talked to them. We talk all the time. Um, They worked really hard to try to get a date in Cleveland. They really did, okay? But unfortunately, you're talking logistics. There's only a certain number of venues. There's a certain number of available. Sometimes you can make it work. Sometimes you can't. They're still trying to get a date together for Cleveland. They're still working on it. But it wasn't a snub. It wasn't intentional. And the story isn't over yet. Right. So before everybody goes off the deep end, I wish they'd kind of look at the reality. And part of it is, A, you can't please everyone. B, you can't be in every place at every time simultaneously. And the C, sometimes things have to be delayed, but we'll pick up on it later. So I'm just taking a wait-and-see attitude about all of it. But I wish people wouldn't stir it up with mm-hmm. judgmental words, because I know these guys, and they wouldn't snub anyone, least of all the folks in Cleveland. Right. But they're just, they're just not about snubbing. It's just not how they are. Yeah. 
God, uh, that gets me crazed. It really so does. So, you know, they, they don't owe a concert to any particular city, especially since they've been doing these massive tours for the last 15 years, especially, and hitting well, all the, these the little thing cities. Is, the thing that's going on right now is, let's be honest, they're getting older. Mm-hmm. And it, okay, I'm, I'm 67, okay? I'm going to be 68 on Valentine's Day, God willing, okay? Happy birthday. Now, thank you very much. Now, if you saw me, and you may very well have. Most people don't take me for 67. They just don't, okay? I'm kind of baby-faced. Just like mm-hmm. most people don't take the members of Rush for being in their early 60s. Mm-hmm. Okay, but think about that. A lot of rock stars, particularly those that have abused hard drugs and really treated themselves like crap, they look awful. They look ancient. But that's not the case with Rush. They still look pretty good. Okay, fine. They don't look like they looked 30 years ago. Who does? But they've taken care of themselves. They're family men. They've never been into hard drugs. They basically are decent, down-to-earth people. But they're still getting older. And that's just human, you know, that's human beings. Mm -hmm. So as you get older... Can you do the same stuff when you're in your early 60s that you did when you're in when you're in your 30s? Can you get out there and play a three-hour tour, 360 days of the year, <laughs> taking only five days off? Good luck with that. Right. Okay, your body just won't allow it. Your body might want to allow it, but as healthy as you may think you are, it takes a lot out of you being up there for three hours just, you know, playing your heart out with no opening act and this and that. It's a tough life. And I'm not saying, you know, let's all take out our tiny violins, you know, oh, poor them. No, they love what they do. But I'm just saying they're facing the reality that if they want to keep performing, they can't take it out on their bodies to such a mouth. Okay? So they're trying to keep it measurable. Plus, as has been very publicly said, Neil is happily married for his second marriage. He loves his wife. He loved his first marriage, too, but it was a different time, a different place, and he was a different person. These days, he gets to really hang out and watch his little daughter growing up, Mm. and he's just fascinated by it. And he's spending as much time with his wife and his little daughter as he possibly can. And going back out on the road and being away for a year, he doesn't want to do it. So the truth is, part of the logistics problem was creating a short tour and then finding a time when maybe they can do another one, that sort of thing. So I, I just wish the people that like to professionally stir up trouble would calm down because there's no trouble here. This sure. is going to work out as best as the members of Rush can make it. But it's got to be a win-win situation. It's got to be a win for their health so that they can keep performing. It's got to be a win for Neil's personal life so that he can see his little daughter grow. And it's got to be a win for the fans. And somehow, they'll make it work as best they can. Sure. Uh, I think... Does that make make any sense? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think you're probably the best person to ask this. And it's something that has always been on my mind. One of the first introductions to the group that I had was the Spirit of Radio album. The the, Mm -hmm. um, collection of radio hits, right? Up to a point. Uh, Were there ever, you know, aside from... Working Man and Closer to the Heart, Spirit of Radio, Tom Sawyer. Were there any hits that you thought really fit the radio scene in the in the pop world? To be very honest with you, and I say this as a music director for many, many years, 
I don't really think that Rush ever intentionally tried to have a top 40 hit. Uh-huh. They were always an album rock band, a critics band. They were a band that did not try to, you know, formulate a three-minute, you know, bop, bop, ship off, my baby's gone, do wah. That's just, <laughs> that's just not them, okay? That's just not them. Yeah. Their lyrics were always cerebral right after the, you know, when, when John Rutsey got ill and had to the band, and to some degree he was going to have to leave it anyway because their direction was really changing, and yeah. Rutsey, God rest his soul, you know, it was a bar band, and they didn't want to be a bar band. Mm-hmm. They wanted to take it to the next level, and Neil helped them to get there. So, yeah, there were always going to be some songs that had some mass appeal element to them. Limelight, I think, is a very mass appeal song in a lot of ways, okay? But on the other hand, much of what they did was not top 40 friendly. And that was partially by design. They wanted to appeal to the, the rock fan who is more cerebral, who thinks about the lyrics, okay, free will, these kinds of things. And... Unfortunately, that kind of wasn't where radio, where Top 40 was. So they were an album rock band. Mm -hmm. Even some album rock stations wouldn't play them. But they were kind of the sort of band that people that saw them just fell in love with them. Okay? And as a result, I would listen to songs, think to myself, wow, AM radio or later FM Top 40 could play this. But they probably won't. <laughs> and it isn't it isn't ruining their life that Top Forty isn't embracing them because yeah. there's enough fans on album rock and enough fans that are seeing them on tour. Don't forget they toured relentlessly. Yep. There was no city that didn't see a rush concert. They went everywhere. So they just they never wanted to sell out. They you know, the the last time I think they ever really tried to intentionally have a top 40 hit was way back on that first album with In the Mood, yeah. you know. And, okay, fine, you know, hey, baby, it's a quarter day, but that's what you had to do. <laughs> yep. But it wasn't But it wasn't them. It right. wasn't them, okay? Um, even with love songs, they still had to be philosophical, yeah. okay? Even a song like The Garden. Okay, we're still not entrepreneur. We're still not talking traditional. I lost my baby, bop bop shabop. Yeah. You know, we're just no. I can't imagine them doing that. So as a me, I knew they were going to be a tough sell for some stations, but I also knew that they would be a cult favorite in a lot of cities, and that the word would said, and that there were certain songs that would get a lot of airplay, and whether they had a top forty hit or not they would still be able to carve out a niche. There are plenty of bands that carved out a niche for themselves on FM and today on the Internet without ever having a top 40 years. In the the last seven years, I've enjoyed hearing songs like Far Cry and Caravan on the radio three times a day when they were coming to promote the tour. And to hear juggernauts like that on the radio... Instead of limelight or you know or free will, which I hear every day, if you know on several stations, it was so cool to hear such um, new oh, material. Absolutely, and and you know I'm hearing time stands still. Oh yeah, new world um, man. Sometimes he, yeah, the big money. Yep. Um, I, as I said, I've heard driven. Um, have you really? I've, yes, I have. Wow. There have been a couple. <laughs> well, there's a couple of, but there's a couple of cities. 
where Rush are kind of like a religion. <laughs> so anything Rush comes out with, somebody is going to play it. Yeah. But, but yeah, to go back to your original point, I really think Limelight could have been a hit, but not with Top 40 where it was at that time. Right. Uh, because it did not speak the language of superficiality. Rush were never superficial. And as a result, they kind of paid the price for that. And yes, they didn't seem to mind because they wanted to be pure to their art. That was a choice they made. They never sold out. They were faithful to who they really were. And isn't that why people love them? Yeah, absolutely. Uh what do you think you've had this you've had a perspective of the group through their whole career which is something I really envy. Uh what is um how do you think how do you feel the the fan base has changed? Has it changed all for good? Has it been super drastic? Has it been almost the same? Well, let throughout? me let me ask you a let me ask you a semi-rude question. How old are you? I am 23. Excellent. You are exactly who I'm going to talk about. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, not like you personally, yeah, but I'm yeah. saying we are now in the second generation of Rush fans. Uh-huh. The mummies and the daddies, who were Rush fans, never lost it. They never went away from it. They never outgrew it because Rush stayed out there producing great music, and Rush fans continued to love their band. Mm-hmm. And then they married, and they had kids. And the kids were raised listening to Rush. (laughs) And suddenly, you have an entire bunch of Rush families. Remember I told you earlier, when they come to town and hang out with the band's management, watching the crowd, in addition to just listening to the tunes and Mm -hmm. this and that. And increasingly, I see more and more parents with their kids. I see more and more young people who have been apprenticed into the love of Rush. And I also see a generation of Rush fans who have remained Rush fans and have taught it to the next generation. So you have new fans that never had a mommy or a daddy that were into Rush and are just kind of like finding it. You have older fans who continue to be older fans and Rush music keeps them young. And you have this wide variety. You also have something else. You have more female Rush fans. It used to be the myth that all Rush fans were men, you know. And that, yes and no. There always were female Rush fans, but hard rock was, by and large, a white male kind of preference. That's really changed. I'm not seeing a ton of ethnic minorities at Rush concerts, although I am seeing a lot more Hispanic, you know, some Asian. But my point is there is such a wide cross-section now of Rush fans, and it's also become a worldwide phenomenon. Mm -hmm. I hear from Rush fans in Indonesia. I hear from Rush fans in Chile. I hear from Rush fans in Pakistan, you know, because with the Internet... Wow. You can watch a music video, you can listen <laughs> to a concert, I can listen to your podcast, et yeah. cetera, and et cetera. And that never was possible before, so that is apprenticing fans into the love of Rush. So the Rush family now is the biggest thing that has changed. It is no longer a bunch of white guys who like Rush. It is now a bunch of white guys plus mommies, plus daddies, plus brothers and sisters, plus somebody from Indonesia who saw the music video, plus, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it just keeps growing and growing, and it is the most amazing thing to me to be 
part of this extended Rush family. Yeah. Uh, I know you got to go soon. I got two more questions for you. Uh, okay, because I charge extra for the third. Oh, you know? right. <laughs> perfect. Uh, have the big money? Have podcasts been a positive thing in the world of you know broadcasting, radio, etc.? And once this band has finally closed the book, uh, what do you think their legacy is once they retire? Okay, well, let me take the first one first, because I know you kind of have a horse in this race because yeah. you do a podcast, okay? He said, being totally neutral, what do you think of podcasts? Well, let me tell you about my podcast. Um, You're not allowed to not like them. Um, truthfully, I think podcasts are a part of the new multimedia world that we're in. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up, and it wasn't really that long ago, I know 67 sounds wicked old to some people, mm -hmm. but as I said, Rush are in their 60s now. I mean, you know, we're all just, we're continuing on day after day. Rock and roll keeps us young and cute. <laughs> but the fact remains, okay? So when I was growing up, you had radio, and you had television, and you had records, and that's how you got music. You know, you might see the band play on a TV variety show. You might hear the band on your favorite radio station. You might buy the band's music. Today, you have so many more ways to get that music delivered to you or to get people talking about that music. You've got Twitter. You've got Facebook. Okay, Twitter and Facebook aren't necessarily music services, but they can send you a link. I do this all the time. Wow, I'm going to be on Joe Gazak's to Hagen's radio show tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Here's the link. You can listen live. You know, that kind of thing. So we see that more and more as people are referring each other to podcasts. They're tweeting about podcasts. They're Facebooking about podcasts, etc. And it's a great thing. But it's not the only way to listen. And one of the great things about now is there are so many more ways for people to turn each other on to new music that was forgotten about. Like, you know, I might have a particular album that I think is really unappreciated or a particular song, not just by Rush, but by a number of bands mm -hmm. that I think like, wow, this should have been a hit. And I can send the link to someone and they can just have a great time listening to it. And maybe they like it and maybe they don't but at least they were exposed to it. And people do that with me all the time. It's like, hey, here's this new music video. Uh, you know, a friend of mine just did this. What do you think? Or there's some great tribute bands out there. Here in uh, Greater Boston, we have a band called Lotus Land yep. Rush Tribute. Okay, sure. they're wonderful. And there are, you know, again, I don't want to get in trouble with all the other great tribute bands. <laughs> there's at least 10 that I can name that I think are just dynamic, and I've seen them perform. But there are many others. My point is... It used to be you performed in your little tribute band, you were at the local club, that was the end of it. But now you can do a music video, you can, you know, you can record it, you can send the link around. Huh. I, this was never possible. So what I'm saying to you is, no, you're not the only thing, but boy, you're an important part of what is spreading the word and spreading the music, and you are one more really important option. And I'm glad you're there. Well, thank you. I didn't. I wasn't expecting to get a, a huge compliment out of that. That's really nice. I. It's you know. You gave me a check. You told me to say something nice about you. I, you know. No, but, but, what a no, great but deal. All, all, all BS aside, I've been on people's podcasts before, and I didn't grow up with podcasts. Uh -huh. But now that they're here and they've been here for a while, I can see 
how important they are, particularly in our busy life, okay? So you're going to let people know I was on this one, and the people that like me are going to be like, oh, wow, this is awesome, and the people that can't stand me are going to be like, oh, wow, her again. But in either case, they're going to have a choice at their own convenience in a time and a place of their choosing to sit and listen. That wasn't possible when I was growing up. And it wasn't that long ago when it wasn't possible. Even into the 70s and 80s, it wasn't possible. I mean, yeah, sure, you could set your uh, tape recorder on record, but what if you were at work, okay? Or what if the recorder jammed or whatever? Mm -hmm. So now you have all of these different choices of ways to get these opinions, these attitudes, these songs delivered to you and I think it's great what you're doing. I really do. Not just you personally, but mm -hmm. I'm saying all the dedicated podcasters, I'm about them like I am about the tribute bands. I'm like, thank you for having so much love for my friends that you want to do this. Yeah. Because these are my friends. I love them. There is nothing I would not do for them. I've defended them to the critics. A lot of people think the only thing I ever did for the band was I got their music started. Uh -huh. Au contraire, mon frere. You asked the <laughs> band, okay? Um, you asked the band if I did other things, and the truth is, yes, I did. Um, when critics would be really harsh with them, I would call those critics and have conversations with them. I fought for years, along with several other people, to get them inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wow. I helped them. I helped them get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, yep. along with two brothers uh, from St. Louis, the Purdy brothers, and a couple of other people. We got a committee together. We made a presentation. We did a dog and pony show, and it had a positive result because they got their star in 2010. You can still see that video online somewhere. Yep. Um, but that's exactly my point. So all of us who are part of this fan community, we contribute in different ways. And you are making a great contribution by giving people the chance to listen to what you guys, what your guests, etc., what everyone has to say. And it's all part of being a Rush fan. Now I saw you wrote. Um, you wrote. Yeah, some... you asked me one other question, and I it, it was a long. Oh, time sure, ago. <laughs> a long a time ago. What was the other one? It was uh, once the band retires. Oh, what's, what, their what's their legacy going to be? There, truthfully, um, I'm about that, like I am about trying to predict the future. Okay, I don't want to think about their legacy. They're still here. I'm going to enjoy them for as long as I can. Okay, mm -hmm. um, like I'm recovering from cancer. I don't know how long I'm going to live. Maybe I'll live another 30 years. My enemies will be miserable to hear that. <laughs> but maybe I'll live another three months. I don't know. All I know is I'm around today. And all I know is Rush are going out on tour. Who would have thought <laughs> that a band that has been making great music for 40 years would still be out there touring, still trying to make the fans happy? So I will worry about their legacy when they retire. All I know is that any band that could make people happy for 40 years, that could win all the awards they've won and do all the things they've done while still being ethical, decent, down-to-earth human beings, forget legacy. Let's just enjoy them while we can. Let's love them as much as we can. Let's support and encourage others to love them. And we'll worry about the future when it gets here. Yeah, well said. Uh, 
you've written about Fenway Park and you're from Cleveland or were in Cleveland. I'm hoping that you're an Indians fan. Is that true? Um, I just love baseball. I've been All a baseball right. fan for years. I was a Toronto Blue Jays fan for a while. Yeah. Um, because of because of Getty. I see. I don't drink. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it, I'm not going to hang out in a bar because what would I do there? But I love hanging out at a baseball game. And Getty loves baseball, and I love baseball too. Well, we're together. Okay. I don't have a lot of time to spend with the guys because they're really busy and I'm really busy. But we know where we all are. Do you know what I'm saying? So when they come to town or when they're in an event and I'm at the same one, um, we don't talk about music. Believe me, the last thing the doctors want to talk about when they're on vacation (laughs) is, wow, let me tell you about the surgery I performed, you know? (laughs) They want to talk about something else entirely. So with Alex, I very often talk about books or politics. With Getty, it's baseball, sometimes food, um, occasionally politics. Um, And with Neil, um, literature, philosophy, poetry. We both love to read. So, you know, you take the conversation wherever it's going for as long as you have a few moments to do it. And I'm always grateful for the opportunity. But I knew that Getty was a Blue Jays fan. And I was originally uh, Red Sox and Baltimore Orioles. Um, because of the fact that late at night, when I was growing up, AM radio signals would travel a long distance, okay? Uh And you could hear cities like Baltimore, Maryland, coming in loud and clear into Boston. And the Orioles games were on WBAL in Baltimore back then, and I could listen to them late night. So, I, you know, I'm lying in my bed late at night. I'm supposed to be getting up for school the next day. Forget about it. There's a ball game on. And I used to be fascinated by the Orioles and the Red Sox and, you know, later the Blue Jays and this and that. I just, I just love baseball. you got Orioles the games Indians, in The Indians Boston? are fine with me. Terry Francona, God bless him. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm serious. I mean, this baseball is just a great sport. It's fun to watch. I know a lot of people think it's too slow. No. Yeah, but it's not a bunch of guys on steroids banging into another bunch of guys on steroids. <laughs> and, and yes, I know there was a steroid scandal, but most of the ballplayers that I've met they play it honestly. They play it straight. They yeah. do it the right way. They're ethical, decent people. And it's a lot of fun to watch them. So that was just something we could talk about. I've got a pretty good collection of Blue Jays shirts. <laughs> and um, I still do. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I've been a sports fan for years. I wrote um, not just about Fenway Park. I've written about the old Boston Braves. I'm a media historian. Wow. I'm about to deliver a talk at the baseball conference about Ina Eloise Young. You may say, who? Mm -hmm. Ina Eloise Young. Um, She was the first woman nominated for membership in the Baseball Writers of America back in 1908. And she was honored, she was given an honorary membership because she wasn't in a city that had a major league baseball team, not Uh because she was a female. (laughs) They respected her so much that they wanted her to be a member. This was a brand new organization, the baseball writers. And a number of the guys who had seen her work, she reported on what today we would call minor league baseball, but she was so good at it and she knew her stuff so well. She was out in Colorado. She became the official scorer for the Denver minor league team. I mean, women had never done such things, but she did it. She just was, she knew baseball inside and out. Around that time, there was a woman that owned a baseball team. There was a woman um, named Helen Britton who owned the St. Louis Cardinals. (laughs) So 
1911, I believe. So I research this kind of stuff, whether it's men or women or whatever. But I, I tell the stories of some of the unsung heroes and heroines of sports. Sure. I'm doing some research on some African-American women baseball writers from the 1930s who have been completely forgotten, but they won't be when I'm done. <laughs> and um, that's the kind of thing I just really get a kick out of doing, partially because I love baseball and partially because I love finding the stories of people who did amazing things, and I think they should be remembered. That's great. So, uh, And I think, by the way, back to the legacy question, even though I don't want to think about the future, just knowing what I know from having been in radio for so many years, I think one thing people remember about Rush was their longevity, their creativity, and what ethical people they were. Because i got to tell you, having been in radio for as long as I was, I've met an awful lot of people. And so many of them, success completely changed them. They started thinking they were just so much better than all the rest of us. That never happened to Rush. They are the same guys today that they were when I first met them way back in 1974. Mm -hmm. And people say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're just saying that because you're friends. No, there's some other people I could say that about, too, like Bruce Springsteen, okay? I mean... No, not an egomaniac at all. I'm sorry. Mm. You know, just some people aren't. And it's so nice to meet people who don't think they're better than the rest of the universe, like bow down, here's my ring. That's, right. just, that's just not them. They're Even though they're rich, even though they're famous, and fans will remember that. I think fans that met them will remember having met them. And fans that didn't meet them will wish they had met them, not because those conversations ever amount to anything. I mean, let's be honest. they got to meet like 40, 40, 50 fans at a meet and greet. They're not going to hang around and discuss philosophy. They just don't have time. But that doesn't mean they don't appreciate the fans. If there's one thing that I can tell you straight up from conversations I've had with the guys, they could have retired years ago. But they know that their work means something to the fans, and they have tried to stay out there as long as they could to perform it. And that's all I can say. That's all I can, all we can ask for, really. Yeah. Now, you have so, um, Invisible Stars, the second edition. Is that your newest? Uh, that is your my most newest, recent? Invisible Stars, a social history of women in American broadcasting, newly revised, second edition. People can go to my website. It's uh, that that book is revised and expanded. It's got new oh. chapters. It's got new everything. I'm very proud of that book. Um, but if they want to, you know, read more about what I've been up to, um, www.donnahalper.com, and uh, uh, life will go on. I'm working on a couple of other uh, articles about the history of baseball. Uh, I'm working on some other stuff, which. You know, I, I don't know if I'm going to have the energy or the ambition to write another book, but I am writing a lot of articles. I just wrote um, two essays for a music encyclopedia, one of them about the history of the Everly Brothers and the other one about the history of the cars. So I'm kind of looking forward to, wow. you know, that coming out, not just because my work is in it, but it's a really, it's like the 100 greatest rock bands and, of course, Rush is in it, but they didn't <laughs> let me write the Rush essay, and I can understand that. I mean, they wanted someone that wasn't friends, you know, and I, I promised them I could be objective, but <laughs> well, they gave it to bed. <laughs> but at least Rush are in there. I mean, when you're talking right. the hundred greatest rock bands, it's fine with me that they chose Rush as one of them. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Right. <laughs> you would think so. Well, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Ah, you kidding me? I'm happy to do it. Just sure I know the link so I can 
tell my assorted friends and enemies that they can either <laughs> listen or not listen. And uh, I again, I gotta thank you for what you're doing. I but I appreciate you being here, and thank you so much. Anytime you have a snow day, feel free to give me a call. <laughs> oh, please, I've had enough with snow days. Thank you so much. <laughs> Take well, care. Hun. Thank you so much. That's great. I always love hearing about um, baseball fans, especially when I if I'm gonna if I'm gonna talk to somebody about Rush for 45 minutes. Uh, anytime that it's gonna roll into a baseball conversation, I'm gonna love it. That's good stuff. Well, thanks for being here. Listen, if you have not sent me a set list, you need to do so. Um, on the last episode, I talked about how I hadn't been getting any entries into our set list challenge, and that changed very quickly. So I apologize to everyone who listened to that episode and thought, well, I sent them one. I've got them all now. I've got them documented, and uh, we'll see who, who fares the best. Uh, some of them are a little whacked out. <laughs> Some I think some of you have uh, interesting opinions about what they're going to play, but either way, we'll take them. Um, you know, one of them, I swear, was Russian Rio front and back. But uh, in my brain, Russian Rio was a recent concert, but it was 2002, 2004, something like that, 2002, so over 10 years ago. So I guess that was pretty far away. Uh, we have we had a killer guest today, and we're going to have another killer guest coming on. Somebody else very, very close to the band is going to be on the show to talk about their stuff and about the music. So thanks for being here. I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed myself. That was a blast. Thank you again to Donna Halper. She was great. We're rolling. All right, send me your set lists. We'll see you. Thanks. Brought to you no, by- I say it brought to you by Nicker.